Now, Exodus chapter 33, you follow in your copies as I read the first 17 verses of Exodus 33. Here we go. The Lord said to Moses, depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your offspring, I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites and the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way. For you are a stiff-necked people. When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, say to the people of Israel, you are a stiff-necked people. If for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. So now take off your ornaments that I may know what to do with you. Therefore, the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship each at his tent door. Thus, the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may... Know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us that we are so that we are distinct? I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, that is something that endures forever. I'm not sure it was clear uh, when I read this through. I'm not sure that you can get it just by being having it read to you. What the main item in chapter 33, or at least those 17 verses, is the the issue that is in front of uh, Israel at this moment in, in Exodus 33 is God's continued presence with Israel. Um, that's that's what's that's the focus of the chapter. God's continued presence with them. You see it in verses one through six, 
And then over at verses 12 all the way to the end of the chapter, 12 to 23, you see that same theme again. But sandwiched in between the first paragraph of the first six verses and the third paragraph of uh, 12 through 23, there's this, there's this intervening paragraph, five verses, uh, beginning at verse 7. And it's about some tent. Now, what does a tent have to do with the whole issue that's before us? What, what does it have to do with anything? Well, I want to suggest that we, that we start there. That we start in the middle of the passage um, at verses 7 through 11. And, uh, I, and I, I'm, I think that if you get that, then you can understand the other two paragraphs better. You can understand the whole chapter better. If you get that little five-verse paragraph right in the middle of the chapter. It has to do with the tent. Now, guys, um, when, I, when, when the Scripture uses that word tent, uh, don't think of, of a backyard tent or a pup tent or a, or a two-man tent. Don't, don't think of those things. Um, the, the better word, the better English word, would be something like uh, sanctuary or tabernacle. Uh, or a tent of meeting, it's called in the text. Gang, um, uh, God had instructed Israel uh, back in chapter 25. Now, I'm in 33. Back in 25, same book, God had instructed Israel to build a place of meeting, a, a, a uh, kind of pseudo-temporary site of worship, a place that was devoted and dedicated to worship and worship only. Uh, in our parlance, it would be something like, I want you to build a church building. Uh, a dedicated place where worship can take place. And uh, he, he, he instructs that that be built in chapter 25. And then from chapter 25 all the way through chapter 31, he gives instructions as to how it's to be built. Are you still with me? Um, he gives size, dimensions, um, furnishings, furniture, materials. Uh, arrangement, I mean, tedious, voluminous instructions as to how this, this building is to, has, is to look. I mean, even the inside configuration, he, he maps it out in chapters 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, 31. He instructs them to build a church building. It's not, ex- not exactly right, but he, he instructs them to build a place of meeting, a tent, and then he gives them six chapters of instructions as to what it's supposed to look like and its dimensions and uh, size and all that business. Now, that was the thing. I mean, if you know anything about the Old Testament, you, you will recall um, that every time Israel changed locations, you know, she was leaving Egypt, she was going to the Promised Land, and every time she moved, that thing, that tent had to be disassembled, packed up, uh, carried by the Levites on their shoulders, and uh, moved to the new location and reassembled there. That's what's, that, that's the tip. Now there's something really important about the tip. It had moved. It had moved. 
moved where? Look at the text, verse 7. It moved outside the camp. Again, that's not where it's supposed to be. It's not supposed to be outside the camp. In fact, in its chapter 25, verse 8 of this book, Exodus 25, 8, God had instructed that this tent was to be built and it was to be placed in their midst, in their, in the middle of them. It was supposed to be right smack dab in the middle of all of Israel. In fact, the instructions said that all of the people were to be arranged uh, around the thing equally. In fact, um, three tribes were to camp on the north. Three tribes were to camp on the south. Three tribes were to camp on the east. Three tribes were to camp on the west. And at the center of the people was to be this tent. Because, you see, there was, there was not to be any a disadvantage on the part of any tribe. Everybody was supposed to be equally a distant or equidistance away from the thing. So they could all have the same access to this, to this tent of meeting because, you know this, the tent of meeting um, represented and was really... The presence of God among Israel. The tent is where God lived. Kinda. It's where Moses met up with him. It's where the people came to sacrifice. It was God's presence. And you remember that back portion of it was the holiest of holies and all that business? Remember all that? Well, the tent was the presence of God and All of Israel was to be camped around it equidistantly so they could all have equal access to it. That tent had moved. It was outside the camp now. It was, um, it was not supposed to be out there. It was supposed to be in the middle, supposed to be in the center. It was, it, it was, it was all supposed to be arranged so that God's people could, could draw nigh to Him. But at this point, in chapter 33, the tent symbolizing God's presence had moved. It had moved out there. It was it was God out there. It, it was no longer God up close and personal or God close and, and and accessible, God close and intimate. No, 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 no. It was now God remote and removed. It was no longer God. At the center, it was God on the outskirts. God on the perimeter. God on the fringes. And it's, 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 it's as if we are witnessing, guys, in this little episode here, 
an estrangement between a husband and a wife. Well, I get to see a lot of those. Lucky me. I get to see marriages kind of begin to fracture and, and all of a sudden there's the split and then and the husband moves out of the bedroom or the wife moves out of the bedroom and then they're sleeping in separate bedrooms and then before long, you know, it's two different houses. One's got a house, one's got an apartment. You know, they're, they're, uh, it's, it's no longer intimacy. That's gone. Oh, no, no, no. They're, they're now sleeping in um, separate bedrooms. And that's what you're witnessing here. The tent that was intended to be at the center of all Israel. It's outside the camp. Now, what, what, caused, what caused the move? Well, guys, um, it's, it's rather obvious, isn't it? Or at least it should be. Um, what caused the tent to move? The tent of God's presence to move? In general, the answer is it was sin. In particular, it was that golden calf incident in chapter 32. Guys, do you know, you, you do know this, don't you, that the nature of sin is that it separates you from God? You, you did know that, didn't you? That's, that's the very essence of sin. Uh, in uh, Isaiah 59, verse 2, this is Isaiah 59, 2, it says, But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. Gang, it is, it is part and parcel. It is the very heart. It is the very essence. It's the very nature of sin that it brings a distance. It brings a separation. What caused the tent to move? Sin. Sin that inserted a distance between God and Israel. Sin that creates this chasm between the sinner and the sin-hating God. My eyes are too holy to even look upon your iniquity, says one passage in Habakkuk 3. I can't look, says God. <laughs> so um, I'm going to have to go out there. I can't watch this. Guys, there is this very interesting incident in the Old Testament, and I'm going to read it to you, but it's uh, actually, I'd love for you to see it. If you can keep your finger in, in Exodus 33 and you find Deuteronomy 23, uh, I'm going to read you this because I, I want you to know that I didn't make this up. It's, it's rather crude. I mean, I, I just called a passage of a scripture crude. I mean, forgive me. But I, I think you'll understand what I, what I mean. But I'm just trying to illustrate my point. I'm just trying to make you understand what, what sin does. Um, uh, look at um, chapter 23, Deuteronomy 23, verse 12. Let me read you uh, three verses. You shall have a place outside the camp, and you shall go out to it. And you shall have a trowel with your tools. And when you sit down outside, you shall dig a hole with it and turn back and cover up your excrement. Because the Lord your God walks in the midst of your camp 
to deliver you and to give you up your, to give up your enemies before you. Therefore, your camp must be holy so that he may not see anything indecent among you and turn away from you. Okay, do you know what that is? You can understand now why I want you to see that was in there. I didn't make this up. Israel was to have a, a designated area outside out there. It was kind of the, the public bathroom. And so every time somebody went out there and went to the bathroom, they were supposed to take a trowel and cover it up. Because, gang, I didn't even create the word. There it is in verse 13. Because there weren't supposed to be any excrement. Don't have any excrement in the camp. And, and look, and, and why? Because God is moving among you. And anything vile and indecent will turn him away from you. Gang, why is the tent out there? It's not supposed to be out there. It's supposed to be right in the middle of us. God's presence is supposed to dominate us. Why is it out there? Our sin. I got to go out there, says God. Because I can't look at that. Because you see, the unclean, the defiled, the sinful drives God from us. That which was supposed to be intimate has become estranged. Oh, me and God, we're sleeping in different bedrooms. And we are because of my sin. And unfortunately, guys... um, We're not just sin doers. We're sin lovers. It's almost the more the more profane it is, the more titillating it's become. Gang, I'm not going to do this to you because I I think it's sometimes I'm, you know, I have a bent towards the histrionic anyway, but um, I think sometimes I do things just to wow you to my discredit but I'm not going to tell you the stories but I could Uh, I could tell you the stories that that, um, our junior high youth director tells us or our senior high youth director tells us you know I I, actually I think I think Will and Landon probably know Gracie Van's families better than than I'll ever know them and um, I could tell you the stories that they get told and find out and what's going on among among youth and even in the homes of youth. Uh, what purpose would that serve? It would just give you something to whisper about. It's not pretty. And and I, I think you know it. 
All I'm simply saying is we're not just sin doers, we're sin lovers. And the, and the, the, um, the more profane, the more titillating it's become. You know, guys, I have, a, I have a friend, a woman friend, who is the lady that preached the gospel the night that Susie and I first heard it, or at least had ears to hear it. Her name was Virginia Schmidt. And Virginia ran a ministry in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And, um, <laughs> I mean, Fort Lauderdale can, um, in my opinion, can get pretty tough. But uh, she ran a ministry called The Greenhouse down there. But one of the things she said to me that has stuck with me, she said, she said every six months we see a, 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 an advance in sin. Sin just seems to take on a darker shade of about every six months or so. Gosh, that was ten years ago when she said that to me. I can't stay in the midst of the camp, says God. i got to go out there. So, one, one day when Moses is out there in the tent, God gives him the bad news. It's in verse 3. Um, he says, you know, you, you going up, you going up to that land that I promised Abraham, Isaac, and Joseph, uh, Jacob. But um, in verse 3, you go up the land with milk and honey. But I'm not going with you. I'm not going up among you. And for Moses, that thought was unbearable. Moses, I'm, I'm not going with this people. Look, it, it says, um, but I will not go up with you, lest I consume you on the way. For you are a stiff-necked people. Moses, I'm not going with you, because I can't. I'll have to send an angel with you, because if I go, I'll destroy them. Because you know, Moses, that I have an inflexible hatred of sin. And for Moses, that was news of, a, of, of an unbearable loss. Estrangement from God? No, it cannot be. But folks, notice in the text, um, to their everlasting credit, he's not the only one that is upset by this. Verse 4, when the people heard this disastrous word, you know what the disastrous word is. Moses came back and told them, hey, you ain't going with us. And to their credit, the people said, that's awful. That's unthinkable. We can't live like that. No, no, no. At least these people know what they've lost. My friend, do you know what you've lost? Let me, let me, um, let me ask that a different way. What has sin gained you? Could you point to it? Could you tell me about it? What benefit has sin brought you? Could you list one? Oh, all right, Jimmy, but, uh, you know, I can tell you this. Um, my life's not working. Really? Do you know why? 
Well, you know, um, life is meaningless. Do you know why? No joy in my life. Everything's just kind of vanilla. Just go to work, make some money, pay the mortgage, go home, watch a little TV, maybe drink a few beers, go back to bed so I can get up the next morning and go back to work, make a little money, pay the mortgage. Do you know why? Distance. Distance, ladies and gentlemen, produced by my sin. You know, I don't know whether this is a bumper sticker where I saw this on a bumper or whether I saw it in a uh, in a little plaque. I think it was a plaque in a Christian bookstore. Thought, you know, well, if you feel far away from God, guess who moved? And that, you know, you're supposed to fill in the blank. Well, I moved. <laughs> nah, that's not the truth. You know who moved? God. And you know why he moved? My sin. Gang, in the face of, of, of this emergency, Moses goes back out to the tent and he pleads with God. And I want you to see this. He pleads with him in two ways. In fact, there's a little dialogue that erupts, a little conversation between Moses and God. It begins in verse 12 uh, and ends in verse 17. That's what you've got in verses 12 through 17. It's a dialogue. It's a conversation. Uh, Moses says something. God responds. Moses says something. And God responds to that. I want you to see it. Um, he, for, for, for Moses, this is unthinkable, that God would remain distant. It's unthinkable. And so he says, okay, God, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I tell you what, verse 13, would you tell me what you're like? If you could just tell me what you're, what you're, describe your ways, show me your ways, God, so I can, so I can go tell them so that we can bring about whatever corrections are necessary so that you will go with us. So, God, you just need to tell me what you're like. If you'll just be so kind as to tell us what you're like, I'll go tell them and we'll change what we need to change so that you'll go with us. And God replies in verse 14. And he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Now, gang, wake up. There's one particular thing that you need to know about verse 14. You got to know this. The second person pronoun in verse 14 is in the singular. Let me explain. In the Hebrew, ladies and gentlemen, when God says, my presence will go with you, that you in the Hebrew is in the singular. That means that God replies to Moses by saying, Okay, Moses, I'll go with you. 
But I'm not going with them. I'll go with you. And I will give you, singular, rest. Well, for Moses, that's not good enough. And notice, he replies in verse 15 and 16, and this is wonderful. He says, he said, when, if your presence will not go with me, do, do not bring us, us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight? I and your people. Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct? I and your people? Guys, anytime you find something repeated like that, you know he's trying to make emphasis. I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth? God. No. No, it can't be just me. Your people. You've got to go with your people. Because, God, you do know this. There is nothing distinct about us except you. The only thing that's distinct about us is that you're with us. You don't go with us and there's nothing to us. You remove your presence and there's nothing distinct about us. We have no identity. And to that, God replies in verse 17. And the Lord said to Moses, Okay, Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you, still singular. For you have found favor in my sight. And I know you, still singular, by name. Guys, you gotta get, you got to get this. you got to get verse 17. Let me, let me try to explain. God says in verse 17, okay, Moses, I'll go. Why? Because you, Moses, have found favor in my sight. Now, here's here's the point. Because God is pleased with their representative, the people get God's presence. When all is said and done, ladies and gentlemen, God eliminates the distance and he comes close to Israel. Why? Because Israel is pleasing? No, no. They're stiff-necked. God draws nigh to Israel because he's pleased with somebody else. Israel gets God's pleasure and his presence Because God is pleased with Moses. It is because he, Moses, has found favor in God's sight that Israel gets the presence of God. The tent moved because of my sin. And the tent draws nigh. Because of him. And God is pleased with him. Guys, God ends up going with them. Because he's pleased 
with their mediator. Verse 14, verse 17, God is saying, okay, Moses, because, because of you, I'll draw nigh to them. The people get God because of the merit of the one doing the mediating. And in this instance, that happens to be Moses. Gang, the good news is there is a mediator with whom God is pleased. And God will accept me because of him. But his name ain't Moses. In fact, later on in this story, even Moses displeases God. You remember he was supposed to speak to the rock, but instead, instead he struck the rock. Remember that? And so he's told he can't go to the promised land because he, he's, dis, he's displeased God. Because, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you haven't misunderstood me. Moses is just an example of what a mediator does. Moses is just a type of mediator. He's not the mediator. Oh, no, no. He's just an example of what one does. He's not the mediator. No. Because the mediator, you must understand. Oh, he was born in Bethlehem, not Egypt. The mediator is not one who simply delivered the Ten Commandments. The mediator kept the Ten Commandments. The mediator is not the one who longs for God's presence. Oh no, he is God's presence. I am not saved because God is pleased with me. saved because God is pleased with him. And though my sins were as scarlet, they're as white as snow because of him. No man comes to the Father but by him. There is no other name given under heaven by which any of us will ever be saved except His. Oh, my friend, do you know that name? Surely you do. His name is Jesus Christ. Because the Father is pleased with Him. He draws nigh to this stiff-necked sinner and grants him forgiveness. I quit. Father, I pray that you will show people the beauty of the gospel through this story in Exodus 33. Might people see that that it's always been your way to distribute forgiveness on the basis of the merits of another. That because of Christ Jesus, 
Forgiveness is available to someone as guilty as I. Oh God, it seems to me that the church of Jesus Christ has forfeited your presence and substituted success for it. And I pray, oh God, that you will grant that you will forgive us and that because of the beauties and the merits of Christ Jesus, that you will draw nigh to your people. Father, there is nothing distinct about us except your presence among us. Dwell here, Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name.